friends, Romans, countrymen, Lend me your ears. What's up, y'all? It's the MC Lars Podcast. I want to thank you all for the great response I got to the Gary K. Wolf interview, the creator of Roger Rabbit. Just great social media response and great download numbers. So thank you very much. Please tell a friend about the MC Lars Podcast. Please leave a review if you're down. And uh, yeah, just keep keep it moving. I have very diverse guests, and the theme of this podcast, it's materializing, is the theme of perseverance, adaptability, and creativity in a shifting media landscape. So Speaking of which, I want to give a shout out to my adaptable, creative, forward-thinking Patreon supporters. Shout out to Blaine, Michael, and Alec, some of my new new supporters who signed up this past week. And also, shout out to some of my old supporters. Shout out to Jimmy, Jennifer, and Diane, some old school supporters, which is tight as heck. We got the last battle coming up soon. That's the final uh, Chronicles of Narnia song, man. I did all of the books and we're going to move on. Maybe I'll do Harry Potter next, all the Harry Potter books. I don't know. Maybe I'll do David Foster Wallace, but I like the idea of focusing on a specific author and releasing these little lit hop EPs to y'all exclusively, which is tight as heck. It is December 3rd, 2018. The year sure flew by super fast. And, uh, you know, I experimented with a lot of things this year. I did the hatchet chat series on YouTube. I did the rapper explain series where I did animated rap videos about certain books. I finished the album with mega ran, which the Kickstarter supporters will be getting soon. I toured a lot. We went international. But it was also a year of, you know, maintaining what worked, like touring with people I like, uh, bands I've toured with. I didn't tour with anyone really new this year, playing markets and places that I've toured before. And some of my plans for 2019 are doing more education stuff, hopefully getting back to Australia again, putting out new music, doing a bunch of videos for the Mega Ran album, getting all that stuff out. But it's been a great year, and I think a highlight for me has been starting this podcast. And yeah, thank you all for your support. I've got some really cool guests coming up. I don't want to spoil it, but man, the people who are going to be on this, it's fresh as heck. All right, so let's talk about Phone Losers of America. So like I said, the theme of the podcast is adaptability. And this week, I interviewed Brad from Phone Losers of America. So years ago, way back in the day, through my mom's account, through our local internet service dial-up provider, we had a little space where they could host like 20 megabytes of data. And I created a little website. It was like a fan site for prank calls I liked. It was called the Lars Prank Call page. And I had a rare Jerky Boys tape that I lauded and celebrated and was really hard to find. And my site came up quickly in the search engine optimization. So I got a lot of people who were looking for this specific Jerky Boys bootleg called the Jerky Tapes. And this is when the Jerky Boys, you know, their movie was out. They'd had a Grammy nomination. Their albums were like platinum and gold. And it was cool that I was able to position this tape, but I didn't sell it. I would trade it for other prank call tapes. And this was before file sharing. And, you know, I discovered a lot of cool music put at the end of mixtapes and prank call tapes people sent me, such as ICP and other underground stuff. But this one dude who was originally a, a guy from Illinois uh, named the Red Box Chili Pepper, he would do these prank calls, but he would also focus on like hacking and freaking and red boxing, which was like a way to get free calls by putting a dial tone on a payphone through this thing called a red box, what you'd get at Radio Shack and change the tones with putting a crystal in it. So if you guys have seen Ready Player One, there's like a reference to the Captain Crunch whistle, which is how they get free calls. It's entered the mainstream. It's become kind of the internet lore, but Brad and I were, you know, online friends. And then years later, it turned out he discovered my music independently of the prank call stuff. And I emailed him. I was like, Brad, I'm the same Lars who had that prank call page. He was like, yo, that's crazy. So, you know, we've been in touch. He came to our Portland show. We did this podcast the next day. And it's really cool to hear about the early years of the internet and how he uses like social engineering and hacking. Well, not hacking, I guess, unofficially not hacking, but how he has really creative ways to do his prank calls. Like he'll do Google street view and call someone and tell them that their tree is a mess or like talk about specific things in their yard. Or he'll, he used to have someone like tap into a camera in a house and then call the people and, you know, say things about their kitchen. And so it's kind of like artistic commentary on government surveillance and, it's super interesting stuff. So this is my interview with Phone Losers of America, a.k.a. the Red Box Chili Pepper, a.k.a. Brad Carter. And I really enjoyed like talking to him IRL. Thanks, Brad, for coming up to do this. And I hope you all enjoy this flavor. Please check out the Phone Losers of America YouTube channel. There's just hundreds of amazing, hilarious pranks. And it's he's so freaking prolific. So check it out. Oh, wait, one story before we start. So 
after Brad and I did the interview, we went out and had lunch and we had like a really cool talk about his life and his experiences. And I was kind of flossing with this, like I have this jean jacket that I had a, a Roger Rabbit patch sewed on the back from a t-shirt, a Roger Rabbit t-shirt. Anyway, I have like mad pins. Like I'd put them all on because I was showing them off on tour. I was really proud of them. And one of them had fallen off and it had embedded in my shoe. It was like this really cool Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin pin from like... 15 years ago and I lost the back. And so Brad being like a sweetheart, you know, went in his car and got one of his phone losers of America pins, took the back off and gave it to me so I could put the pin on my jacket. And I was like, that's so nice for a guy who makes a living harassing people on the phone. There was like a really generous, sweet gesture he didn't have to do. So shout out to Brad for that. So here's my interview. Let's take it back to 96. Well, to 2018, but reminiscing about 96. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned to the MC Lars podcast, and today I have one of my favorite internet comedians, artists, uh, creators. Oh, you here on MC Lars podcast? Well, how should how should I refer to you on the show? Because you have like nine names, like me. Brad's good. Brad is the creator, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Of the Phone Losers of America, that's correct. PLA, you've been doing prank calls and hacking and freaking stuff since the '90s. Oh, I don't do hacking stuff oh. as per my, um, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Probation Excuse requirements. Me. Strike that. Strike that. He does <laughs> frank phone calls and performance art pieces. Completely legal prank calls now, so, ever since the incident. This is, this is like, let's just jump right into it because you made some calls to a supermarket company's email uh, complaint list. Yes. And that company wasn't so happy about that. No, they were very unhappy about that. They called the FBI on me. <laughs> so the FBI showed up at my house and knocked on the door. A team of six to eight agents stormed the house. Oh, my gosh. Because they felt like it was they didn't want you bothering their customers. Well, I think it was mostly because they thought they were being hacked. A listener sent me um, a list, a, a login and a password of the Safeway and Albertsons and a bunch of other supermarkets complaint database where if people are unhappy with their shopping experience. They complain online to this database, and I had access to all of these complaints along with the person's address and name and phone number and all this other stuff about them. So I did a couple shows where I called up all these people who complained. I pretended to be the manager of the store and resolved their complaints, except I did a really poor job at it. You kind of put the complaints on them. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I turned it around on them. Ladies complaining about um, the, the Starbucks kiosk is in the back of the store now and I don't want to walk all the way back there. And I told the lady, well, we saw you on the security cameras. We think you could use the walk. So obviously Safeway did not appreciate this. Yeah. Well, they just thought they were being hacked is their main thing is they thought someone hacked into the database for all I know. That's what happened. Yeah. Cause I don't know the guy that sent me this stuff. You weren't involved in any of that. You just happened to call these phone numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of assumed he was maybe a disgruntled employee. Yeah. Which still wouldn't have been okay for me to log in, but you know, I couldn't resist. It was such good stuff. So how did they get wind of this? I mean, your YouTube channel is very popular and big. Was it that? Uh, well, I just, I didn't hide myself when I logged into the database multiple times. So they just, I assume they just looked up my IP address and they're like, oh, this belongs to this guy. And then they looked up me on social media and they're uh, like, oh, this guy does prank calls. So uh, it took them about six months to show up at my house. Is there any way to hide your IP? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I kind of feel like maybe they would have figured it out anyway. <laughs> yeah. You could Google it, Safeway phone pranks or something. Yeah, yeah. So six months later, early in the morning, the FBI came to visit you. Correct. And give you a happy wake-up call. Yeah, it was great. Um, they they just they knocked on the door a couple times. They had a battering ram at the door. They were going to knock the door down if I didn't answer the door. Oh, my gosh. I noticed that when they pulled me outside <laughs> and sent a bunch of people up <laughs> You're like, I'm glad I heard them. Yeah, yeah. They they knocked twice. They let me get downstairs, down two flights of stairs. And what, did you think it was like UPS guy at first? Or? I didn't know. I glanced at the home security camera on my yeah. way down. And I just saw some guy standing there. I had no idea. I was still half asleep. After the trial and everything, now you're able to still do your your calls. and run. Yeah. And so they didn't want, they didn't make you stop. 
No, surprisingly not. I kind of assumed they were going to make me stop, but I didn't get any jail time or anything. I just had to pay a fine. I had to do community service. I got home detention, which is like house arrest, but not quite as bad. It, it could have been a lot worse, probably. Oh, yeah, definitely. I could have done eight months in jail oh. for this. <laughs> All for your art. So yeah, <laughs> you can call it art if you want to. Making phone calls now, if the legality of it is... Can we talk about that? Like, Oh, sure, yeah. So you're saying that they're legal prank calls. Like, Some states you're allowed to record people who don't know they're being recorded, right? Yeah, it's, it goes by state, but then there's also federal laws, and it goes by the state you're calling from, the state you're calling to. So I just don't even worry about it. Yeah. I, you know, as long as I'm just calling him one time, what are they, they like, why would they come after me for that just one time? What I love about your calls, you always have this kind, calm, like, like manically sweet demeanor, which like it's coming across right now where it's very misleading. <laughs> yeah. You get people so mad, but you never like you don't know. But after this interview, I'm going to knock you out and take all your shit. How do you keep so calm when people are screaming at you? Oh, years of practice, I guess. <laughs> I'm better at it over the phone than in person, I think. Yeah. Do you feel like, oh, this is for the comedy? Like, I have to keep this this nice character. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It kind of sucks when it doesn't work. Oh, when, um, when they know you're joking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they obviously know it's a joke and I, it's just time to hang up the phone and try someone else. You, ha you have three shows you do a, a week? I do the Snowplow show, which is my main prank call show. Um, that's about two or three hours a week of show material and then i do a secret show for the patreons called the hobo sods okay you know, instead of mini sods it's hobo sods um i do brad's cactus shack which is where i just talk about anything i want like i talked about a lot of probation stuff recently and all the stuff they've put me through it's been a lot of fun oh yeah i do mr dabalina's wonderful world of prank calls <laughs> which is kind of a best of uh. um version of the snowplow show it doesn't have all the voicemails and the stuff that new people might not be interested in so uh, the most recent episode is all of those calls from Safeway. Oh wow! To 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 their customers, <laughs> they never told me to take those down. So I assume I can go ahead and make shows with them. You're fearless, <laughs> and you're very prolific. Very <laughs> stupidly fearless. I put yeah. them on YouTube. People find them on YouTube. Um, there's podcast feeds and all that stuff. I made Mr. Dabalina because on the Snowplow show I get kind of long with my intros, and I do like I'll do like 30 minutes of voicemails from listeners and. That's going to turn off new listeners. How would you rank them then for like newer fan to more hardcore fan? Mr. Dobblina is a good intro. Yeah. Yeah. That's for the new fans. There's 21 episodes of that now. There's okay. 500 episodes of the Snowplow show. Wow. Yep. 504 now. Wow. So when, what year did you start that? I think, well, technically 2012, it started out as a YouTube thing. Uh, we had videos for every episode, but I gave up on that because that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but then officially, I guess 2013 is when I started doing it regularly. Okay. So listeners might not know this, but you and I have known each other on the internet for like a very long time. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I just found this out recently. So some background for the listeners. I used to have this prank call fan page on the internet. I talked about this at the show last night where I would review prank call tapes and uh, I... We got in touch, and I got your tape, and I reviewed it. Your yeah, back in 97, probably. Jeez. That's it, my guess. It was like a Xeroxed. You had the logo with the AT&T Death Star, and the phone. You Did you draw that on the cover? Probably the payphone. Yeah, I the payphone. <laughs> and it was your prank calls, and I and I reviewed it. And we, yeah, we, we were both, both a part of this huge prank call tape trading community when the internet first started, <laughs> which is crazy but i remember you like after you mentioned like i've been listening to you for about 10 years now uh that's when you came on my radar as mc lars but you reminded me like i'm the lars from 97 too oh my god we're friends <laughs> that was tight that's just weird that was just so independently you found the music and my music but independently i'd been like following what you were doing with the phone loser stuff yeah and then here we are Back then, Jerky Boys, you know, they'd gone platinum and had Grammy nomination, had the movie. So everyone was trying to cash in on that. So this marketing company had made this tape called The Prank Callers of America. Crank Callers crank. of America. Crank Callers of America. Who calls it crank? Come on. <laughs> and, and it was like, it was a promo tape where they were like, are you the, are you the Jerky Boys? Not. We're the Crank Callers of America. <laughs> it was so dumb. Yeah, I just, I don't remember anything about it other than that it was really bad. And there's just like three or four pranks on the tape. They were trying to invade the community with their own stuff. And it felt very inauthentic. Because yeah. Because it was all tapes people had done and like 
And here were these people trying to utilize this network we'd built in the 90s to launch their brand. So we designed, mm-hmm. I think you, you, had, you had the idea. You designed a parody of their site. Yeah, I, I barely remember any of this, but I looked at the logo and I'm like, yeah, that's a logo I would do. Because I felt like they were stealing my name because I'm Phone Losers of America. They called themselves Crank Callers of America. Yeah, it's very similar. Bunch of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, but that was the thing that got the most traffic on my site. Your parody that we hosted there. Oh, I didn't know that. Of because everyone in the community was like, "Oh, this is definitely inauthentic. This is like when you hear a, a major label band trying to copy whatever's trendy." Do you still have that? The crank callers of America. <laughs> I I probably have the tape. I must have the tape somewhere. Yeah, it would be fun to digitize that <laughs> and have this whole archive because we've been listening to like other than you listening to you in the band. We were li- we've been listening to like. Um, Longmont Potion Castle and uh, the Mark Knopfler tapes. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I found them in the early 2000s. Or wait, no. Wait, you gave me the Mark Knopfler tape. That's one of our trades. That's like, tight. Does that sound right? You gave me yeah. John Truby and Mark Knopfler. Yep. On one side, John Truby on the other. So I found out from, about Mark Knopfler from you. Wow. And nobody knows who that guy is still, apparently. But Shape of the Dark Lord is a fan of his tape. So, okay. he, so he knew about So Shaper weirdly quotes all this old stuff and uh like the two bar of course which is kind of famous yeah what other ones do you remember from that era uh the seattle phone pranks oh yes which i was looking for recently i think i've lost that i have i still have it i should digitize it (laughs) yeah i don't know uh john truby um who else was there i there was like do you remember the uh latrine this guy from michigan yeah yeah um i never had his tapes but i found him online a few years later this is interesting like I got into ICP because he sent me a tape where ICP had sampled the great phone calls, the Neil Hamburger one. Mm-hmm. And he was like, do you remember that one? It's like the guy. Who- That's who I was trying to think of just a second ago. Neil Hamburger. Yeah. Because Neil Hamburger actually contacted me because I had it listed online as his pranks, but they were John Truby's. So he clarified that for me. Oh, that wait, that hit, they were his calls, not John. Truby's. Yeah, I had a review of the tape up somewhere or oh. something. So <laughs> That's pretty tight. <laughs> I liked that one because the musician calling me like, I'll be in your band. I'm your bass player. I'll play bass licks on your grave. Remember that? <laughs> yes, like I do. These things that sear into your mind and then realizing that the world is not really aware of these like these moments that, you know, were so formative on people like us, I guess. These 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 prank moments that are like, I love it because it's the storytelling. It's like a look into people's lives and it's very, very creative. I would argue it's like a really cool art form. Yeah. I worked in factories in 97, and I would just bring my Walkman and prank tapes and listen to those all night. Do you remember the teleprankers? So he left a lot of identifying information in his calls. Okay. And a few years ago, I tracked him down through Facebook or something, and I sent him a message and said, hey, do you remember doing these prank calls? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to digitize them, and I'm going to make a review of them. I was wondering if you'd like to be interviewed. And he was not very receptive at all. He said, those calls got me into a lot of trouble. Please don't ever put them up anywhere online. And he was just completely against it. He was seemed really sad about the whole thing. Wait, so they were like, he'd mentioned his real name or something? Yeah, he mentioned his real name. He was pranking like all his classmates at school. He was like a high schooler at the time. I thought it'd be cool to interview an, an old prank caller. And he, <laughs> my first attempt at an interview went very poorly. There's this level of, like with Longmont, Potion Castle, who we talked about at the show last night, some people like you and him who have been doing it for years, some people are very anonymous. I think it's very interesting and really cool how you are, you stand behind your, your creations and you're, and, and that we're here talking and like, you're very active on social media and yeah, it's like, there's a bravery to that. And also like maybe what, using my real name. Yeah. Uh. Re- using your real name, but also like, I don't know, being able to talk about it and not being shy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm a little bit shy about it sometimes. Like trying to tell normal people what I do for a living. Yeah. That's kind of tough. My dad, for example. (laughs) Yeah. Like what what does he think about it? Oh, he just shakes his head. He's like, oh, that's good. Glad you're doing something you like. Let's talk about your life. You grew up in Illinois, right? Right. What was it like growing up in Illinois then in the 90s or 80s or whatever? 70s, 80s. I'm 46. Can we talk about uh, the freaking stuff? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just... um, bulletin board systems are you i guess you know about those right like the dial-up bbs yeah yeah Yeah. um i i got into those Uh, i found some hacker text files and i was just hooked on that that whole uh subculture of hacking and learning how to beat systems and all that stuff and 
tricking the phone company, especially because I was really into phones already. I guess just uh, learning as much as you possibly can about the phone company and like just one upping the system, trying to figure out a way around things uh, like red boxing, for example, was this um, these tones you could play into a payphone and it would give you free calls. It would trick the payphone into thinking you're putting quarters in. That's the that was one of the easiest things to do. The Captain Crunch like whistle thing is that was that a real thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was called blue boxing, um, and that was like a whole other level of it. Um, that was kind of done with by the time I got into it. They'd fixed all that stuff, but they could play these other tones into the phones into any phone, and they would become super operators. They could do anything they wanted to. They could call anywhere. They could take over trunks and satellites. I don't know. It was crazy. It was really wow. interesting. There was like a high learning curve to understand how this works. So the security was less then, would you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the phone company just figured, no, oh, they're never going to figure this out. But it was really easy. It's just the whole system was controlled by these um, 12 tones, maybe 16 tones. I forget. And the fact that then people like you were finding other creative people on the Internet who could share these secrets, right? They never would have anticipated. Yeah, well, BBS. back then they didn't have bulletin board systems when all this blue boxing stuff happened. So they found um, hidden conference lines and they would share all their secrets on these hidden conference lines. and Like talk by talking? Yeah, yeah. They just get on the phones and pay for these uh, long distance conference lines. I mean, not pay for them. I mean, you know, use their freaky knowledge to call into them. <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of blind people were into it. Wow. It's really interesting. Like, um, I don't feel like I'm explaining it that well, but it's. It was really cool stuff. I was really into it at the time. But I never got into the really hardcore stuff. I was into the easy stuff, like making free calls for payphones. And that's what kind of made you stand out for me, like amongst the other prank callers, because your website and everything, you would have that, you had that that technical engineering kind of perspective that prank calling so much about the social engineering, but then there's like the physical, like on YouTube, when you go to Walmart on Black Friday and, and intercept calls and record them, like that is such a great video. <laughs> that everyone, please check that out. Like, I wish I could do that again. I, I feel like it's a bad idea at this point, <laughs> being on probation and all. Can you? Can we talk about how, that story? Because that's like like how you had that idea and how you pulled that off. Because it's amazing. Uh, the the main one that everybody knows about is where I just had an earpiece in my ear hooked up to a digital recorder. And uh, I would pick up a phone in the store whenever I heard on the overhead paging system, you know, toys, pick up line two. Uh-huh. And then there's a code you press press that gets you on line one or line two. And I would just pick up the phone and talk to them and be a horrible customer service person and uh, record it and put it up online. It was a lot of fun. One of the things I love also, and this is like a, some of your concepts are just like you have a simple concept, but then you go hard on it and do it in an original way. Where you'll call, you'll do Google Street View, get people's numbers, and then like complain about their their landscaping or the trees, <laughs> and people, you really rile people up because they they are so invested in how they're. It's like this this reflection on how we create this identity, and we're so invested in how the world sees us. And when you come in and kind of like make fun or like criticize their their hedges, it's like <laughs> it's like they go they go bananas. Yeah, it's insane. Like the the. The reactions I've gotten from people just telling them that um, I, I don't like their trees or I don't like their grass or we're going to remove their grass. Or you is- or you did or that you like you you came there to, to clean the grass to 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 fertilize the grass. We accidentally killed it and you're sorry, but you're not going to do anything about it. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. People love their grass. How do you get the phone number for a house you find on Google Street View? Oh, you just go to um, 411.com or whitepages.com. There's a reverse directory. It's actually pretty accurate. It'll have their cell phone numbers on there sometimes. I don't know where they get their information, but it's yeah. pretty good. What percentage of your calls you think don't go well that you don't release? I mean, well, I mean, it just depends on the day. Sometimes I'll do a live show and the entire thing sucks. Yeah. I've done live shows where I never released them because they were so bad and boring. <laughs> I, I like to only release the really good stuff. What time of day do you get the best people picking up and the best reaction? Uh, probably the evenings, but probably more the weekends, like anytime on a Saturday or Sunday, that's when everyone really picks up. Do you find that now if people see like an unknown number, they don't pick up as much? Oh yeah. 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 And they're, they're also like, whenever they do pick up, they're very suspicious. Like they think it's a scammer or a telemarketer. And it's, that's changed. Um, oh yeah. It gets worse every year, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't come up unknown though. I spoof my phone number so I have a local phone number to them. So they think it's like a friend or something. Yeah, yeah. I'll just pick a random neighbor's phone number and make my phone number their phone number. 
And then that neighbor gets a bunch of calls <laughs> during my whole thing. And then I call that neighbor at the end. Like, hey, you got any calls from me? So you'll you'll 411 someone who lives near them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is like very. Like, oh, it's Frank around the block. <laughs> Did you hear the ones where I said I was with the city and we were digging a hole in their yard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, why are you digging a hole? I'm like, oh, you know, just we got to use up the rest of the budget. <laughs> That's just they lost their minds. It's very interesting when you call wealthy people because they don't have patience and they're very entitled. But they're also, I guess, they're very defensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't want their good name smeared. And the wheelchair ramps be like, you need to put a 20-foot wheelchair ramp. <laughs> and they want to be like politically correct. Like, what's your problem, lady? Put a wheelchair ramp on your porch. <laughs> or that you're not going to deliver mail anymore. That's another one I really like. Yeah. And did you say you you have like the blind mailman? Is that one of your things? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like your concepts are all very... Cartoony. E- <laughs> cartoony and rooted in like this reality of... Uh, yeah, like like... Just having something that's just believable enough that makes it work is, I think, like some of my favorite calls of yours. And you lived in Illinois. Were you doing the freaking and stuff as a kid there? or um, I was playing around on phones constantly as a yeah. kid, just randomly playing on the phone. Uh, I didn't learn what freaking was until I was maybe uh, 16 or so. Yeah, after that, I just uh, I, I figured out red boxing. I mean, I read about red boxing and build a red box. And so it was like an actual device you hold up to the phone. Yeah, it was a little Radio Shack tone dialer. You open it up and you modify a crystal inside, and that changes the frequency of the tone, and it wow. turns it into quarter tones. You learned this through old BBSs or through the private conference lines? I never did yeah. the conference line stuff back when it was a thing. That was like back in the '60s and oh, '70s, okay. I think. Before you were doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. What was it like calling the first BBS you ever did called? You remember that moment? Oh yeah, um, I was obsessed with war games. You know war games? Oh, with Matthew Broderick? Yeah, yeah, yeah he that, almost yeah. starts a war. and uh, Just being able to connect to your computer and get information from somewhere else, I, I just you know felt like Matthew Broderick. Yeah, um, this power. Yeah, yeah, it was just amazing to me at the time. My parents would not get me a modem because uh, they knew I would just do bad things with it. But after I got a job, I bought my own modem, my own computer. <laughs> would you tie and, up the phone line? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I immediately uh, got my own phone line without yeah. their permission. And <laughs> How did you get to Oregon? I wanted to leave home. So at 17, I packed up my car and went to Texas, lived there for a while. And I went to South Carolina, lived there for a while, and Ohio and Indiana and all over the place. And eventually I ended up in Oregon. So you've really seen a lot, a lot of the country. Yeah. Have you been abroad ever? Uh, just Mexico a few times. But right now you have to wait. Yeah, yeah, I'm not allowed to leave the country anymore for the next four years. <laughs> I don't plan to leave the country, but, you know. There's so much you can do here, though. That's what's exciting. Yeah. How big do you think is the Phone Losers, like, audience, would you say? Um. Well, there's thousands of listeners per show. That's about all I know. Um, yeah. We've been doing meetups lately. We did one in Chicago, and I think, like, uh, 25 or so people showed up to that. Wow. And I did this really impromptu one in Denver and 13 people showed up to that one. We're doing one in San Jose next year. That's going to be the biggest. I'm sure of that. It's hard to judge audience size. The YouTube stuff is like you have a lot of followers on that, but sometimes is it hard to know if they're just in there because they like the pranks or if everything. Yeah. Or if they subscribed and they just, they never actually watch anything. I don't know. YouTube gives you pretty good metrics on that. They tell you exactly how many minutes people have watched. What would you say is your demographics? Is it mainly guys or? Oh, yeah, definitely mainly guys. And what age group? <laughs> uh, it's all over the place. Um, the oldest, I, I've seen guys in their 60s, um, but I'd say mostly, probably mostly around the 20s, 20s and 30s. Talking to you, it's like you're the same voice. You don't do like the jerky voice thing where you change your voice around. Like Not too much. It's you. It's like it's your character. I'm bad at voices. <laughs> And I think that's what makes you unique to other prank callers who like put on these characters. You're just yourself. And so meeting you is just like listening to, to, to the, a prank to call. The pranks. <laughs> so people, do people like quote the calls back to you and you're like, what is that even from? Uh, yeah, I usually remember the quotes. Yeah. So, you know, this is my life apparently. <laughs> so I just remember everything. Does it make you feel nervous like this, the fandom that people have around around this? Or does it feel kind of like, like nerdcore it feels like with the, our rap stuff, it's like, our fans are kind of like our friends and our family, you know? But Yeah, it, I feel that way, too. I don't have any real friends, so. <laughs> you have a, glo- a global network. Yeah, a global network of friends. <laughs> um, do you never think that this would be your job, doing this professionally and making this content? 
Well, I tried to make it my job like back in the 90s as selling CDs. I'm like, yeah, this is going to get big. It's going to be just like the Jerky Boys. I think I gave up on that as the years went on. But then Patreon comes along and I see other people making money from their art type stuff. And it's worked out really well so far. How many years have you been on that service? Patreon? Yeah. I think since 2014. So you've been there for a while. I joined 2016, so you were kind of like early in the mix. I think right before Patreon, um, I used this other service on my website that I still use, and it's a subscription. It's like your own Patreon. Um, I saw some other podcaster using that, so I started using that. And you still use that? Yeah, I try to tell people to stop using it Uh (laughs) but uh, because Patreon's a lot easier and cleaner and everything. Are your calls on Spotify and stuff like that? No. Uh, I have a few songs on Spotify, but my pranks are just on Bandcamp. But I, I have albums and stuff. Yeah. I, I really should do something like that. TuneCore is really great for, for dis- music distribution. Yeah, that's what I originally used for my music stuff. And then I saw, um, is it CD Baby? I think was cheaper or yeah, something maybe. Yeah. But maybe they're not as good. I don't know how it all works. TuneCore is cool because it, if some new streaming service comes up, they'll automatically distribute it to there. Ah. And also you can change the art. And the uh, if I remaster a song, I can like mm-hmm. re-replace it. CD Baby I don't think is fle- as flexible. I see. But if you have a finished album, it is cheaper. You don't CD Baby you pay once, I think, versus annually. I think I took my stuff off because it kept coming up as copyrighted on YouTube whenever I'd use my own stuff. Oh. Can you make it not do that? Yeah. Yeah, you can say like this is mine. I'll remember that. I also love how on your site you have like a, that giant torrent that you upload with you update it with everything. Yeah, I try to do it every year. And it's like 30 gigabytes? Yeah, it's right around there. 30 or <laughs> I keep having to take videos and stuff out of it because it's getting too big. People have told me they bought new hard drives so they could get my entire torrent. You should get a cut of that. <laughs> Do yeah, I should sell hard drives. You have the shirt. You sell shirts, right? Well, I, I sell them through um, Spreadshirt. What about the coins, like the Patreon coins? Those were a big pain to do (laughs) yeah it's like you have this kind of like mentality of like a band with the merch and everything yeah i couldn't believe the coin did so well and then i started adding um extra stuff to it then i over promised and then i ended up losing money on the kickstarter oh gosh (laughs) and you also said you were gonna do a vinyl maybe yeah yeah i really want to do a vinyl record of prank calls that's tight yeah, because that's been that like when's that been done last? Like I remember Jerky Boys is on vinyl. Yeah, I don't. I have the Jerky Boys one and the, and the Great Phone Calls is all I have. I feel like nobody would buy it. It would just be kind of a neat thing. You don't have to get permission from people. I just make sure I edit out all the names, okay, so they can't find themselves, and just hope for the best. One of these days, I'm going to get sued and shut down forever. But you, until then, it's kind of fun. Have you ever had anyone be like, "Yo, I found myself on your site"? A couple times, yeah. And I've had them report me to YouTube. People would complain on Twitter about companies, and I would call them up and pose as the company. And But I would post their tweets up on the video that I made, and then people would find their tweets by searching for those words. And then they'd be like, hey, this guy on this prank call channel, he's making fun of you. Check it out. Yeah. And then they would find their stuff. So you have to kind of be wary of search engine optimization. I did have a lady who found herself 10 years later after... I think she was a telemarketer for Sprint or something. Uh-huh. And I messed with her a whole bunch. And then she um, she found herself. I don't know how. But she emailed me and said, I need to take it down or I'm going to get sued. And so you took it down? No, I said no. <laughs> I never heard from her again. Wow. So she was just trying to threaten you. Yeah. The Twitter ones are cool. Like when people would check in, right? Because then you call and say things about them related to their tweets. Can you still do that? Do people still check in on Twitter? Oh, yeah. All the time. Finding their phone number is the hardest part because they don't always have a listed phone number. You Google their name or? Yeah. I'll look it up on 411.com. If they have a really unique name, that's the easiest to look up. Where did you get the idea for that bit? Uh, I think it's something we came up with on the phone show, which is my old show I used to do back in. 2009 when i first started listening to you i was playing your stuff on the phone show i remember um hearing a show recently from the phone show i've been posting them all up on youtube and it's the one where we first started doing twitter complainers that's kind of cool to hear they were terrible they they were barely even funny but how many people are in pla it's basically just me there's other prank callers like there's carlito he does the madhouse live show uh laugh track matt and zax they do the party time show there's just this huge prank call community of all these different people that like to make prank calls. Do you have any international people who make calls with you or not? Nah? Uh, well, Zach's from Party Time. He's he's British. Do you, is there some sort of like initiation to make sure they're good enough to make the calls before you let them do it? Um, 
like Carlito, he brings a lot of people in on his show. He does a live show every week, every Thursday. And he'll just, he has a call-in number. People will call in and they'll do calls with him. And then um, if he likes them, he'll start chatting with them, I guess. Or we, we all, we used to conference together a lot more back in the day. Yeah. And hang out with each other and do calls together. We don't do that too much anymore. We should. With the nerd rap stuff, it's like there's this archive that like details the trails of these friendships and these memories. And it's public and it's like, that's what I find so engaging about your channel is that it's these stories where, you know, it's like you really feel like you get to know you. And then you also feel like you get to know certain people who you call repeatedly. For instance, (laughs) the Mildred Monday. I try not to call people repeatedly anymore because then it sounds bad. It sounds, do you feel like it's mean? It's mean spirited? Yeah, because you look at Mildred Monday and you're like, yeah, I, I prank called that lady for 20 years straight. When really it was just, you know, I'd call her every couple of years, take five years off, call her again. And now she's dead. And then you did one of the calls where you talked to her sons. Yeah. After she passed to give your condolences. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> do you feel bad about that? Um, Sort of. I mean, I made that Mildred Monday song. Yeah. And I guess when we called up her sons, we played that song for them. Uh huh. And they weren't very amused with it. And it had. I mean, her- come on, their mom just died. And <laughs> but it was like a loving tribute to her. Yeah, I'm sure they see it that way. So for those who haven't heard, it's a parody of just another Manic Monday, right? Mm-hmm. And calling up Miss Mildred Monday. Yeah. Maybe we can end the podcast later. I'll play that okay, song. Is sure. that cool? Yeah. Another one I want to talk about that I always show people when I'm trying to like make new converts to your channel is the one where you. Got access to the camera in the room of that older couple. Oh, yeah. That one is like brilliant and kind of like horrific how you're able to do that. Oh, yeah. There's this other guy, Dwight. He does those a lot. And I guess he had to stop putting them on his channel because people were reporting him because it's kind of messed up that you're looking at people inside their house and prank calling them. And that call, you're able to describe what they're doing through this camera. Yeah. So people have security cameras in their house and some people have them pointed at their beds uh-oh. And their living room, just everywhere. It's weird. Um, I I feel like I shouldn't mess with those anymore since I'm on probation because it's technically hacking. Yeah. Even though they're using default passwords. How would someone hypothetically know if someone had a security camera? Is there like a network that shows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the name of it. But you can also do a Google search on whatever string is in their URL for their camera. I assume you can still do that. And what is the default password is like 0.0.0. Or like, how would you know? Yeah, different brands, different manufacturers have different default passwords. It's like good advice because anyone who has home security cameras should make sure they don't use the default password. Yes, log into it immediately, everyone, and change your password. Change it to something hard that's not easy for a computer program to break into. That is like indicative of NSA and all the stuff that our liberties have been, you know, changed. And that in a way, you're kind of like poking holes and being like you're no longer private mm-hmm. anyone could access that and not make a youtube prank version of it they, they, they could use it to uh i don't know like harm them somehow yeah um see when they leave their home and rob their homes i guess that's pretty unlikely but you know but that's people the, could use it for something bad instead of just prank calls the opposite of of why you get a home security system yeah there's this really funny one i, I was on the line when dwight did it um he kept calling this guy's phone and he would answer and Finally, he stopped answering his phone and he got tired of the phone ringing. He was in bed. It was pointed at his bed. Yeah. Um, he finally got up and he turned his ringer off. But we'd recorded the ringer. So those cameras, you can play sounds over them. Oh so he started God. playing the ringer over the camera. <laughs> Guy was so mad. That is, He had no idea. <laughs> no. Wait, so how long did he do that for? What, like, what was the conclusion to that? Uh, I don't know if there was a conclusion. I think he just finally stopped reacting and put a pillow over his head or something. <laughs> That's so terrifying. Yeah, I did the one with the old people in the kitchen like um, maybe seven or eight years ago. Oh, oh, really? I intended to to do more, but uh, I just never got around to it. And now it's probably a bad idea. Yeah. I wish I could do more. Those are fun. It's like the Truman Show, right? It's like the idea (laughs) that we're all potentially being watched. And I think that's like why I like your stuff and why it's got this longevity because it says things about our culture and it says things about the world we live in. And it says things like, taking tools of solving problems from the past and using them to try to like have fun with the future and like have some sort of individual identity in this like scary future is what I like about it because it's, I don't know, mischief is not bad. Mischief is fun and can yeah. make his life worth living. I, think. I wish you could have talked to the judge, <laughs> told him all that stuff. <laughs> my client has this artistic imperative <laughs> judge. Yeah. I have cameras in my house. Like, yeah. uh, like the Wii U, for example, 
it, it points at the couch. I always turn it so it's pointing at the wall. Doing all these prank calls and stuff, you realize like anybody could do this stuff. Uh, you know, if they have more skill than I do, um, they could probably look at any camera, listen to any microphone in your house. Or like, I'm it really makes you feel like you just you, know, you never have any privacy. I'm looking at my computer now, and it's like, oh, this camera. You know, some people put tape over their cameras on. Yeah, their I don't know if you saw that when I pulled my laptop out. I have a post-it stuck over mine. It's like the sign I, of a real hacker. Who knows? <laughs> they can engage those cameras without the green lights going on, without you knowing. I've because, heard they can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like back in the early 2000s, a neighbor and me, we would uh, there there was a software you could use to break into people's cameras and computers and. Um, we would look at their cameras. We'd turn their screens upside down and make pop-ups come on their windows and, you know, wacky messages and stuff. I also like the one where this is one of your popular ones where that woman bought the fake iPad and then you call her saying you're from Apple. You're going to send her a real iPad. Can we talk about that story? Yeah, Delonta. That's That was, um, you really got a lot of information from her. Her social security, right? And like. Yeah, so she, she bought a iPad from some guy off the back of a truck in a parking lot or something then she went on the news to complain about it but it's like, oh my stolen. gosh this, yeah 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 this guy <laughs> sold me a fake ipad when i was trying to buy a stolen one this is <laughs> this is bs <laughs> um so I, I i i put a lot of work into tracking her down uh got her phone number got her to call me back and she had a, a unique name so i was able to look up things i think i looked at her utility accounts for her home and okay. got her contact number off of that. Something like that. How do you get access to utility accounts? Uh, same way you get anything else. You just call up the utility company like, hey, this is so-and-so from the other department. Right. Um, can you pull up this account? Oh, by the way, do you have this information? And it's so easy. It, it works every time. It's social engineering, right? Mm -hmm. And then you talk to her and then you're like, okay, we want to send you this iPad. But in order to do it, we need your social security for tax reasons. Yeah, and yeah. She gave, and then she gives it to you, and you're like, "Yo, never give this to someone. What is wrong with you?" <laughs> I love scolding people when they try to give me information they shouldn't. But it's like a teachable moment for them. Like, yeah, it's educational. And watching that's like, oh shoot! If someone were to call up and want to give you like a free Xbox or something, you you wouldn't. And they ask for your social security number. It's not. It's a scam. Yep, yep. If someone ever tries to scam her, she won't fall for it. Well, she might because she fell for the back of the truck iPad and then giving me her social. <laughs> And then you ma mailed her another fake iPad, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so her fake iPad that she bought off of a guy from a truck was a mirror with right. duct tape around it. So I mailed her another one. A friend of mine gave me their iPad box, and I <laughs> put, sent her a mirror. Oh, my God. Consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> she probably saw that in the mail. She's like, oh, my goodness, an iPad. When people are exposed as like being greedy or racist even, or like, or bad people, I feel there's some karmic justice in that you yeah. push their buttons. I like when people become racist, and I, I kind of try to keep them doing that, <laughs> just to expose what jerks they are. And then show the world, like, this is not how you act. If someone provokes you, like, this is not how you should react. Yeah. Don't be racist, because you could be put on blast for the world to see. Mm -hmm. I feel like prank calls, and the best prank callers, especially prolific ones like yourself, have this agency in our culture did you ever see the jerky boys movie yeah not a good movie but i enjoyed it you know it's fun it's a movie of the stuff we used to like about the jerky boys every year i try to watch I, I i bought it on itunes and it's just for me it's like that era you know what i mean i did watch it recently uh, a couple of years ago and it was a lot more fun just to kind of laugh at it about just how dumb and absurd it was <laughs> and the, how the plot is really how do we reference our our big records yeah <laughs> i've been talking to johnny brennan trying to help him start his patreon account oh nice and i want to have him on an episode i tried to get him on my show yeah. and um we talked for a while through email, and it just never happened. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever but, listen to his podcast? Yeah, his podcast was amazing. Like, it was really, really good. Like, where he just talked about all his past stuff and... The stories around yeah, it. Yeah, the gave you some background on it. That was really neat. What is your favorite Jerky Boys album? The first one, definitely. Yeah. What Do you remember first hearing it? Did you hear the um, bootleg tape first? I heard that after, because it had a few extra calls. Okay, and I had the John Musacha did a few calls on that. Yeah, yeah, I heard the the bootleg first. So I knew who the Jerky Boys were. You heard it before they were signed. Yeah, yeah, I heard that in '92, I think. Oh my gosh! I just did a show where I listened to the original Jerky Boys bootleg and commentaried over it. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so I knew who they were, and like I was, uh, I was homeless in Portland. I mean, homeless in Indianapolis at the time, and listening to my Walkman on a bus or something, and. 
I start hearing Jerky Boy pranks, but it was new ones that I'd never heard before. Like, holy crap. So I called up the DJ and talked to him, and he told me they had an album out. So I went out immediately and bought it. So you're like, oh, I recognize these on underground. Yeah, yeah, I knew the voices. I heard it was like Howard Stern who helped kind of put them on and get them signed. Oh, I didn't know that. He'd play that tape you talked about, and then they, they tracked them down. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what I love about their story was so unlikely of a success story, right? Like, these people who are doing it for fun, that that moment probably wouldn't happen again. Getting signed to a major label with prank call tapes, because it's all this new media, YouTube, Spotify kind of model, right? Yeah, pretty much. Now the tools are there and it's easier to do. And well, it's just like nerdcore rap. Like anybody can just start making music on their laptops and get an audience. And it's going to be like that with everything, really. And that means the people who have the good concepts and the prolific people are the ones who will stick around, I guess. Yeah, like me for 30 years, apparently. 30 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. 25, yeah. I guess. What was your first ever recorded prank call? Uh, I used to make prank calls to radio stations. It was a garage sale show. Uh, and I would just, uh, they weren't even funny. I would just call in and say random things to them. And they'd put me on the air and then they'd say, wow, that that guy was really weird. And just over and over, rapid fire, me me just calling up uh, radio stations and uh, just getting on the air and saying something stupid. And then being at home recording it. Yep. And then that that became the first Phone Losers tape. No, I never used those because the, oh. the quality was horrible. I just put them on this uh, episode of Brad's Cactus Shack. It's a show where I just find old clips of random things that I've done in the past that aren't really good enough to have anywhere else. I know you people you get asked this all the time, but encapsulate quickly the cactus branding and how that's always a tagline. I just had this friend in 91 or so. Uh, I met him from Bulletin Board Systems, and he would make prank calls to people where he would just call them up and say nothing but the word cactus at them. And they would get infuriated, like, what are you talking about? What do you mean cactus? And you just say cactus over and over and over. And I just thought that was funny. I kind of stole it from him. And uh, I did text files, you know, hacker type text files back in the 90s. Yeah. And I would just throw the word cactus in randomly all over him. And it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. It had nothing to do with that you lived in Texas where there were cacti? No, nothing at all. <laughs> it <was> just <laughs> funny word, I guess. Why did he start <laughs> saying it? Um, he had this story behind it, like he was playing D and D, and a cactus sprouted up underneath his character. Okay, something like that, and so he just started calling up people on the phone, yeah, and saying cactus. And he was really into it too. He was he was stealing those magnets off of like realtors' cars, those those magnets off of their doors, and cutting them into cactus shapes and spray painting them green and putting them on his car and other people's cars. The cactus is in a lot of your logos and your merch, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's it needs to stop. <laughs> It's never going to end. I used to go by MC Lars Horace. So Horace is similarly absurd. It's from, do you ever hear of a show called Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? Yeah. So Horace was the barber, right? He's the character who played the barber. And he looked kind of like a horse. And so I thought it was funny that Horace sounded like horse. And so my friend Ian would leave messages in sixth grade on my parents' answer machine. He'd just go, Horace, Horace, <laughs> Horace for like a minute. And my mom was like, you need to ha- tell him to stop leaving these messages. <laughs> so I took that and made it my part of my rap name. So it's a similar, a friend who did something absurd, repeating a word. Mm-hmm. I thought I mentioned it. It's like interesting connection there. The dumbest stuff is funny when you're a kid. And I think as an adult, when you can appreciate the dumb stuff you liked as a kid, there's a purity and innocence to that and a joy, I think. Yeah. An immaturity, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> a little of both. You have a lot of crossover with the nerdcore rap world. And it was so fresh that you came out to the show last night in Portland. It was so cool to see you in the audience. I, was, I saw you there over on the right, and I was like, yeah, my yeah, man's did, here. Didn't you, like, like you're doing a song, and in the middle, you're like, I see you, Brad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were like, your hand, with you, for Mr. Raven, you had your hand in the air, I think. And I was like, yeah, oh, probably. he's getting down. So I see you, Brad. I wanted to give you a shout out. And then I mentioned you in the freestyle, too, with Mega Red. Yeah, that was amazing. I, um, I want a copy of that. I'm sure you probably don't have it, but that was great. If someone has the someone filmed the Portland freestyle, please post it. I yeah, to, I want to post that. Um, you've done a lot of stuff with different nerdcore rappers. When I first started doing the phone show, it was a call-in show. It wasn't supposed to be a prank show. It kind of turned into a prank call show. Uh, but that was in 2009, and that's right around the time I started getting into nerdcore music. I found out what it was, and I started listening to it. That's right around when I found you. And um, yeah, I just I, I needed music to play on my show that wasn't as copyrighted, <laughs> copyrighted. OK, yeah. So, um, yeah. And I just I really like nerdcore music. That's what I've been listening to constantly for the past 
nine years, I guess now. That's tight. And you're friends with Rappy McRapperson? Yeah, I, I really loved his music. Um, I think I made a donation to him and sent him a, a, a an email telling him how amazing he was. And we just started talking. The next thing I know, he's visiting my house. And he, he comes and visits me every uh, two or three years. 2012, I played with him at the Nerdapalooza after party. He's like, hey, Brad from uh, Phone Losers says what's up or something. Because... <laughs> I think that's cool how the prank call and nerdcore worlds can intercept like that. Yeah, when did is that when you kind of rediscovered phone losers? You know, I rem- I remembered back in the '90s, and then I was casually like watching your stuff on your channel, and then but then like two or three years ago, I went deep. One, I was doing my animation, doing some animation, so I just mm-hmm. would run your playlist like all day while I did the animation. And yeah. then I, I commented on one of your videos, I think, and it was really cool that you like were like, "Yo, MC Lars, oh my gosh," or something. <laughs> I think, and then that's how we reconnected. And I was like, yo, just so you remember, I'm the same Lars who had that prank call page. Yeah, that blew my mind. It's so like, weird. <laughs> I'm friends with this guy I listen to. The story of knowing each other is just this cool, the longevity of how the internet can go back so far and like make unexpected people who like weird stuff share their passion. And Did you ever have my listeners come on your videos and be like, I, I found you through phone losers? I saw a few of those, yeah. Especially, yeah, I think, download the song. That, that's the one you were doing last night when you yelled, I see you, Brad. Yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> and that was the one that was kind of like, it's just the celebration of the the new media economics as I like to introduce mm-hmm. it. And like this change in culture where I think the jerky boys are a good signpost for like how things were in the 20th century. And then mm-hmm. you and your stuff is like the 21st century version of that. And, you know, I feel like the jerky boys ran into problems when the label, they weren't making as much profit from the label or they had this internal fighting or whatever it was. Yeah, I think he talked about that a lot on his podcast, didn't he? Like, uh, yeah, he, he really got screwed by the labels and he's trying to he wants to come back, but without labels. Like, I think he's he's, he's still he's still like creating it, but trying to figure out what to do. And, I'm, and I said to him, I'm like, you should just do calls. And I think there's mm-hmm. like this element of you can't be too precious with your art in that. You have to create a lot. I found this. You can't be like, oh, I have one song and this is what I'm known for. You have mm-hmm. to do it and 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 do it. And my yeah. wife has this expression. It's like being an art burner. You do something, you let it go and you burn it and it like goes out into the world and then you move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's like why I like your stuff because you are so freaking prolific. And that's tight. Thanks, Lars. And it's it's a good model, man. It's like it, your work inspires me because it's like, here's this guy who every, how often do you post a video? Like, Every week, at least. Yeah, I, I try to. I, I'm trying to do more because you know the the Patreon's really taken off. So I'm just trying to you know keep producing content because it's fun to do. I'm enjoying myself. Is, is the monetization good for YouTube for you? Like, do you turn on the ads and do you get a good um, revenue from that? They demonetize one of my channels um, for no reason, really. They gave me a reason that that was not accurate. Um, Your main channel. My main channel is still monetized okay. my snowplow show channel was demonetized that's the one where i made more money though uh-huh because you, so, you have yeah. all your shows on there yeah but um i don't know the patreon's picking up the slack that's i great. wasn't making a lot of money from youtube but it was kind of nice to have a couple hundred extra coming in and shout out to all of our patreon supporters that they are allowing us to create this without the need of a corporate structure dictating what art is that's right and i'd I, be doing a lot less shows if it wasn't for patreon and same with me, like I wouldn't be making as much music because you don't want someone to tell you what's good or bad. And you want fans who love you for you, who want you to make your own instinctual decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that over time, that's like the golden sweet spot, I guess. Yeah. Thanks to the fans, I just have all day to, to sit around and make prank calls and take a day off and come out and hang out with MC Lars. <laughs> and come and do a podcast in a hotel. Right. Yep. Man, there's so much I want to talk about, but I think like we're they're about to kick us out of the hotel. We got a light check out. You know, like so we can open up your phone jack here in the room, uh-huh. and we'll have access to phone lines in all the other rooms. They're always the lines always run through there. Are you serious? Yeah, I've done that in so many hotels. So then we can make calls from other rooms <laughs> to other rooms, and they won't trace it back here. You would just use a, a lineman's handset, which you know who doesn't have one of those, <laughs> or, or you know just you could use your uh, hotel phone. That's how I've done it in the past. Really? Um, yeah, you just uh, get a wire and splice in some lines and uh-huh. start touching wires till you find someone else's room. How do you put it back to normal? Uh, just put it back how it was. I've done that so many times, though. We've had a lot of fun with that. There's that one video where one of your colleagues, who will remain nameless, goes into the basement of the hotel and just unplugs all, and replugs all the Ethernet cables. 
Oh yeah, that was at a hacker convention. But I think it's fake, right? Let's Allegedly. say yeah. yeah it's, and he's like, I'm just <laughs> switching all the ever and switching everyone's like. I think he was playing around. I think he knew yeah. what he was doing, and he was unplugging things that didn't actually matter. Yeah. For it, for real, I'm not just saying that. I think that's what he was doing. The world has changed where having the skill set and having these networks and having this joy for life gives us an upper hand now. I think that is dope. I think that's like kind of a cool end to the story or, or a cool beginning to the next story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's fresh. Yeah, it is. Do you have any life advice for me, Brad, before we go? It seems like you're doing everything perfectly. You're you're like a famous nerdcore rapper. You just tour all the time and make music all day. That's your life. What, like, what can I tell you to make it better? Thank you, man. And I feel the same way about you. But like, to stay prolific and creative and creating, because that's like really inspiring. I don't know. Just keep doing what you love, I guess. Uh, whatever makes you happy. Do you find like that joy, like when you first press a chord and make the call? Like, do you feel like when I'm in the studio, I feel like I'm in this flow of like when I have a great couplet or a great beat. I'm like, I would rather be nowhere else. And it's just this place of feeling like I'm at home. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I'm basically just having a great time every time I do a show. Yeah. Every once in a while, there's a day where I don't feel like doing it, but I feel like I need to. Yeah. But it still kind of turns into a great time, I think. And so it's like people that comes across, though, for your audience, which Mm -hmm. is just so. So do what you like. Yeah. And don't go to prison. Yeah. (laughs) Try not to break any laws. (laughs) Don't get the FBI at your house. You don't want that. No, you don't. It's kind of a bummer. Where can we direct? people to best support you like a few places uh i would just say go to phonelosers.com that's the phone losers of america or go to snowplowshow.com that's the the show that i do twice a week which is nothing but prank calls or wait no new people should go to worldofprankcalls.com and if you want to hear about the fbi stuff it's the latest episode well okay. maybe by the time this comes out it won't be but patreon is patreon slash phone losers yep. patreon.com slash phone that's losers it. yep all right cool brad thank you Thank you. I, I appreciate you, buddy. You too. Oh, and what song should we end with? Maybe we'll try Mildred Monday or not? Nah? Uh, it's up to you. Um, I don't I, like iTunes. Doesn't seem to care, do they? Like if no, nah, let's you, do it. Okay, let's, let's do it. Let's let's hack the system. I'm doing the hacking. This is Brad's parody of Manic Monday. This is a lady I I harassed for ten years straight. Hey, twenty years. I don't know, <laughs> but it was in good fun. Yeah, yeah. She enjoyed it. So did her sons. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Bye. Bye. Monday. Thank you, Brad. That was super tight. As the year winds down, I want you all to look back and think about all the amazing things you've all accomplished. And even if it's like a, you know, incremental small thing, like let's say you tried a new food you liked, met a new friend you want to hang out with more. 
unlocked a level in Breath of the Wild. I don't know. It's like something awesome you did this year. Be proud about it and look back and just pat yourselves on the back because you all did great. And one of the greatest things you did this year was discover a new podcast. You've been listening and that's super tight. So congratulations all of you. And as the year winds down, I hope you're all well. I hope you're all warm and happy. Those of you in Australia and New Zealand, I hope you're not too warm, but I hope you're happy. Next week, we have Howie Abrams, the author, former A&R music industry vet, a friend. Howie actually signed Bowling for Soup to Jive Records back in the day and was the A&R and helped them produce and finish some of their biggest hits. And now he's an author who's written some great books about heavy metal, books about hip hop. Shout out to Howie Abrams. He's our guest next week. And we talked about what he's been up to. It's a really good conversation. So be sure to check that out. The sale's still going on. If you want to go to mclars.net and get half off all that flavor, promo code is still podcast. So peep that ish. And uh, until next week, have a great one. Thanks for listening. And be sure to just go on YouTube and geek out on that phone losers because this stuff is hilarious. All right, peace.